What's up, Dialed fam? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the Strength Training for Cyclists podcast by Dialed Health. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and operator of Dialed Health, and I'm coming to you today with probably the most obvious episode that I still have never done. Are you ready for this title? How Strength Training Improves Your Cycling. <laughs> Go figure. Looking back at all of the episode topics we've had, we've really narrowed in on specific parts and points of you know, this general topic and answering this question, but I've never given it to you in a way that's digestible, more so the big overarching themes of really why strength training improves your cycling. This came about to me last week when I was presented with the question, uh, why does strength training improve your cycling? And right away in my head, I can answer it, but I have like a hundred different reasons and it's this long conversation. It's a little bit scattered. And for me doing what I'm doing, I was like, I need to narrow this down clearly, almost in like an elevator pitch style. So I took to Instagram, of course, where all your great ideas have to go. (laughs) And I created a five point list uh, that I posted on Instagram. So you can go see the visual if you want it. Uh, It's just a few posts back. And I'm going to read them to you in order because they kind of do affect each other that way. And it makes more sense when we list them this way. And it should give you a lot of clarity and a really digestible way to kind of relay this information. And I'm so excited to have it this way because forever I'll be able to answer this question uh, when someone asked. And it's not going to be this uh, sit down one hour consultation. But that's how I've always done it in the past. So go, you know, go figure. (laughs) It's probably why I don't have it this way. Um, So anyways, that is our main topic for today. Once we answer that question, we're then going to go into a few specific member questions. The first one is about overcoming soda addiction. The second one is approaching the mental side to racing. And the third is how to ride with someone at a different skill level as you. Of course, at the end, we're going to go for a little dialed health update because we have some awesome things going on on the website, uh, programs that have been filmed, new features, like a huge, the biggest feature added to the website since the website launched. I am so pumped about this. So we'll talk about all that. But as we start the episode, I have to give you a little quote that's been just on the forefront of my mind. Are you ready for this? Okay, listen up. This is from, actually, I don't know if it's originally from Kevion on Instagram, but that's where I'd heard it. He was quoting someone else. So anyways, he's getting the credit for it. But he says, motivation doesn't last, but neither do showers. Wash daily. Come on now. Think about it. Everyone is talking about motivation right now, how surface level it is. And, oh, you don't need motivation. You need discipline, this and that. I'll be honest. You need all of those things. (laughs) You really do. But I will tell you firsthand you have to immerse yourself in content that inspires you daily. Okay, so here's the quote again. Motivation doesn't last, but neither do showers. Wash daily. You know your shower is not gonna last very long. If you're a cyclist, you're only good from your shower till your next ride. (laughs) And if you don't shower post-ride, I mean, we we got some other problems there. So So my big encouragement to you is to stay motivated, but don't plan on doing it yourself. You have to find things that inspire you on a daily basis. Podcasts are obviously a perfect example of that. It could be an Instagram account you follow, any form of content that really pushes you toward achieving the things that you wanna achieve, being on the track that you wanna be on, or has some reminder of you to just level up. I love it, start moving forward. Let's dive into this podcast. (music) 
It's time to answer the question, how does strength training improve your cycling? But simply, I want this to be digestible and something that you could either relate to someone else or turn to when you need a reminder yourself, maybe some motivation. So I broke this down into five major points. They're kind of overarching reasons as to why strength training improves your cycling. And I'm gonna give you some insight of my personal experience uh, because of course I'm training with you guys, I'm in this process, but I've also worked with thousands of people, literally, and watching all of their results to these individual points uh, is something I really wanna talk about and just really how real it is. It's, it's amazing. So we're gonna be pointing to a little bit of science, uh, but a lot of experience stuff because I really just feel like that story style just lasts, it sticks. And now how you hear these points is very specific because they kind of piggyback off each other. So once you hear one point, the next point will kind of add to it. It's gonna be like we're just putting a little puzzle together and every little point is another piece and at the end, you know what? You have a beautiful image revealed. How about that for metaphors? I mean, come on now. <laughs> so here we go. The very first point, this is the obvious. You get stronger by building bigger muscle fibers and or neural adaptations, which is how the brain communicates with the muscles. So with building bigger muscle fibers, you're basically breaking back down tissue, they repair to get stronger so that it can do that same thing, which is the stimulus, more efficiently. Your body is so much smarter than you are. <laughs> no offense. It's just so much smarter that literally no matter what you throw at it, it's gonna try and adapt to it. So you getting sore, rebuilding muscle, having bigger muscle fibers to handle that load or that weight more, uh, is the process your body goes through to really sum it up to build bigger muscle fibers. Now, typically that's accomplished through hypertrophy style training. So this is like an eight to 12 rep range. And so when you hear that, a lot of people listening right now, even if you do my programming might be like, whoa, I don't, I don't wanna build too much muscle. Uh, that's actually the rep range I do a lot of movements at, like maybe I shouldn't. So that is almost a whole nother topic within itself, but I want you to know, calm down. You, if you're riding, frequently, it's so difficult to build legit muscle mass. And I will tell you if that is a real concern for you, just train two days a week, total body strength. Just train two days a week. You guys, people who do bodybuilding programs four to five days a week in the gym, split routines, freakishly high volume, crazy hypertrophy workouts, those people also struggle to put on muscle mass. Maybe they will in the beginning a little bit, but once they really get into a rhythm, it's not easy. It, if it is your main goal in life, it's not easy. And cycling is such a different stimulus on your body where honestly, it's like trying to shed off any unnecessary weight. So that really conflicts with your ability to build muscle. And that's where this next point comes in because you could really choose to focus on as much muscle growth as, as possible given your discipline of riding, or you could focus on neural adaptation, which is really just muscle activation. It's your mind-muscle connection. It's you waking up and turning on all of your muscle fibers that become dormant in what we know as cycling, which is just a very one-dimensional process for the most part. Really, the more toward the roadside, that you do style-wise, I guess, riding, the more one-dimensional it is, the more like gravity style things you're doing, there's more lateral force, there's more muscles that you are using, but still, it's such a repetitive motion, no matter which side of the sport you're on, there are muscles that are just gonna turn off over time if you're not activating them. And that brings us to our next point. This is less compensation. So, you, certain muscles begin to turn off after time in the saddle, mostly ones on the backside of your body. Keeping those muscles activated helps your primary muscles not be overused. 
So backside of your body, think everything like from your calves up to your hamstrings, glutes, low back, upper back, everything. Usually those are the muscles that start to turn off because when we're in the biking position, there's, okay, let's just talk about pedaling. It's knee flexion over and over and over again. Guess what muscle flexes your knee? It's your quad. <laughs> so the, the top of your thigh. And when your quad becomes so dominant in this motion, like it will inevitably, your hamstrings will probably start to turn off, especially your glutes. And when you are hunched forward in that position, it's difficult to engage your abs in the same way. And just the way that this like snowball effect happens uh, is kind of obvious to a lot of people who deal with back pain. Uh, but it, maybe it's not so obvious to people who do get good hamstring glute activation. Like those people are out there and more power to you. I mean, I know cyclists who have been riding for 20 plus years and never had knee pain, never had hip pain. Uh, and most of us hate those people, to be honest, because <laughs> that is not the norm, truthfully. And uh, don't blame yourself if you are dealing with some kind of weird overuse injury. It's just because we're putting our body into kind of an unnatural position and we're demanding it to do something that I would argue it maybe wasn't designed to do. I mean, this is like sport at some point. You know, you know, I was just talking to someone about nutrition and health and all this stuff. And it's like, once you start riding over a couple hours, like you're not just doing it for your health anymore, right? Maybe it's helping your mental health because of the fun and all that, but there's a point where you need to be okay with putting some, you know, putting some miles on your body, putting a little wear and tear on it for the sake of sport, for the sake of fun. And uh, yeah, so don't blame yourself if you are dealing with these compensations, but there is a way to correct them. And that is through strength training. You use strength training to basically in a controlled environment, get all of these muscles working because although maybe you don't use them directly to put more power down on the bike, it keeps your body more balanced in general, which fights this injury. And this is the next point. It's injury prevention. Balanced strength training gives you more a more stable body to tolerate impact and twisting. These tweaks happen while you're on the bike or hitting the ground. I probably don't have to explain why less injury is beneficial to your program. And I'm reading that off of the post that I had created with these points. So basically you have more active balanced muscles so that you don't get the overuse injuries uh, as often. You're way less likely to ha happen. And then also you have a more stable body to tolerate impact you know, the twisting, the jarring, like this doesn't even have to mean hitting the ground. This could be on your road bike on an unsuspected pothole and all of a sudden your shoulder gets all tweaked or your ribs get all tweaked or you're turning and, some, and you slide out and then you catch traction and almost high side and all of a sudden your back is all tweaked. I've had all of these same things happen to me, let alone hitting the ground. You know, hitting the ground, it, it, there's two reasons why strength training helps with that just full on acute impact like that. Hitting the ground when you have more muscle in your body, obviously you have a little bit more cushion over your bones. That is a really good thing. But when you are including mobility training into your program, it means that you'll have more range of motion at your joints. And if you have more range of motion at your joints, you could probably flip and flop and contort without injuring something. Um, it's not as likely that you're gonna injure something because think of it this way, just with your shoulder, for example. If you have really tight shoulders, and you have a hard time getting your arm into a overhead position. So you fully extend your arm to reach it up overhead and be completely vertical. If, you, if you're not able to do that versus someone that can, and let's just say you both crash, and this is how I tore my rotator cuff, my hand actually hooked under a root <laughs> as I went over the bars and I kept rolling and my arm basically like flung back way overhead. 
And I know for sure at the time, my shoulders were incredibly tight because I grew up doing push-ups and pull-ups and never stretching. And uh, I know obviously my body well, especially when I started becoming a trainer and going through mobility testing and all this stuff. So it's like, if you are able to let your arm fling around in a whole circle without tearing any tissue, then that's, that's injury prevention right there. And that's why mobility training is so important beyond just the added muscle that you most likely will have from a little bit of strength training. And so those are huge reasons like alone with the less compensation and injury prevention, they kind of just piggyback off each other. And you can see, you just become more of a resilient body for rides. And that leads us to our next point. It's comfort. Okay, you have more comfort because you have more alignment. Better alignment in activated muscles means more comfort while riding. Most of us know how back, neck, or knee pain can eliminate your ability to put down power. So let's build this from the beginning, right? You have maybe bigger muscle fibers, maybe, because again, hard to do, still, still possible and likely, you know, if you add strength training from not having any strength training. And these muscle fibers are now more connected to your brain. You're more turned on and activated. So you have less compensation during your rides. You have just a more, a body that's more ready to handle tweaks, twisting, falling, all of these things uh, to keep your body healthy. But also it's keeping you in better alignment because you don't have these muscles pulling you one direction. So for instance, if your back turns off and your muscles just become very dead, but your the front side of your body becomes very active and let's just say strong or tight, you literally get pulled forward. Like your shoulder, for instance, is getting pulled forward. Your neck is getting pulled down or your chin is getting pulled down. Your shoulders are getting rounded. All these things are happening. Your hips are just getting tighter and like closing in on themselves. So it gets uncomfortable, you know, because as your shoulders start to come forward and up a little bit, now you're actually using the muscles around your neck more and more and more just to stabilize your upper body when really your shoulders should be activated, packed, and in really in a proper shoulder pack position and using the muscles through your scapula. Those muscles help stabilize your shoulder and your lats and all those, again, muscles on your back, even down your serratus anterior through your obliques. These are keeping your shoulders where they should be, depressed, active, in a place where you have more range of motion. And now you have less stress on your neck, for example, and you're not using your upper traps as much and you're not straining. And the more you get into these awkward positions because your body's literally pulling you into it, the more painful it's gonna be. And not only that, this is a really uh, crazy point I've talked to a client about before, but the stronger your muscles get, the worse things can go. So if you are making muscles stronger in a uh, less optimal position, the more likely you are to have higher pain than someone who's in that same less optimal position with weaker muscles because your muscles can just contract and spasm and cramp and strain and everything that happens with those muscles, like those muscles are stronger. They can just pull your body harder. And sometimes th those muscles will pull your body into a painful position. So um, really that balanced strength training program helps fight all of that. And the comfort's a huge one. Like when you're uncomfortable on your bike, I don't care how good your bike skills are. If your low back's hurting, you're not going to want to stand up in manual. You're not going to want to do a bunny hop. You're not going to be uh, on your road bike in the drop sprinting up and over a hill because even though your legs have it, even though your core has it, even though your balance and your bike skills are all there and you're ready to go mentally, 
your body's just going to say no. You're going to want to sit down. You're going to want to stay, you know, putting out zero watts. Unfortunately, most of us have felt this. You know, we've all kind of experienced this pain that holds us back. I know that I have. And even when you start a perfect strength training program, it's going to take you a while to really figure out where you need to put your emphasis for you personally. Like, where do you need to be the most proactive to make sure you eliminate that specific pain? You know, for a long time with uh, starting road riding in the last few years, for me, it was a lot of the neck pain like the neck pain really like you know from my traps down to my shoulders down between my shoulder blades all the way up into the, really the back of my skull I would get so uncomfortable that you know even when my legs felt like they had more even when my shoulders felt comfortable and all this the neck pain literally was the thing that I was like oh my gosh get me off the bike <laughs> you know like and it's so unfortunate because you you want to do more and your body is just kind of saying no so even for myself I know that if I do experience some neck pain it's typically because I'm not being very proactive. I'm not doing any real prehab type things. Like for me, it uh, just comes down to doing some deep tissue release around my upper traps, kind of through my shoulders uh, and mostly on the inside of my shoulder blades. And I know if I do that a few times a month, I really won't experience it. In fact, I haven't felt it in quite a while. And there have been times in the past where a lot of back pain, especially on technical climbing on my mountain bike, where that's been the thing that has really messed me up. But once I got my glutes more activated, once I learned to posterior tilt uh, and I really focused on that every time I do core workouts that's gone away too I, like gosh it's been so long since I've had back pain on the bike thank god because again I know what it's like to be I'll just give you a little visual in Downeyville on one of the best trails in the world and I'm sitting down when I should be shredding <laughs> and I'm just in pain and I'm like I can't even enjoy this perfect moment because of this right now so it sucks and i'll say that just go be you know be open to that learning process when you kind of go through it um because you will get there it'll get better and better and better and you know if you don't start it's probably just going to get worse <laughs> there's a hopeful statement for you so let's go to the last point so this is put it all together now that your muscles are firing properly across your body which is aka power transfer without pain instability or turned off muscles holding you back you are the most efficient you can possibly be so even with let's just say you go through your body there's less compensation you're more stable and your muscles are more activated even if you didn't really train on your bike specifically you're just gonna you're gonna be stronger because of your efficiency now when you pull through your bar you can power transfer that all the way through your leg and vice versa when your core is solid you're not going to be crumbling when you're standing up and sprinting or when you have a hard compression you're not going to be buckling and just trying to hang on to your bike or like in some g out or something like that and these are all things that i have 100 felt and it's insane when you just turn your body on when you get a little bit stronger how those things start to go away so to give you a couple examples like one that really sticks out for me when we go to uh activation is this guy rex uh shout out to you rex roberts he's the man kiyoku the best uh post ride drink of all time it really is i freaking love it um you want a discount code here you go <laughs> dialed fam 15 Dialed Fan 15 gets 15% off your first month Kyoku. Didn't plan on doing that little plug, but it's just too good not to. So anyways, Rex started my mobility program. <laughs> uh, mobility program, right? This is targeted foam rolling based off of your overhead squat. So I have a video that teaches you how to do an overhead squat assessment and also how to analyze it. So if you have uh, your, you know, your, ankles are diving in or your arms are falling forward or your knees are uh you know coming in together like there's all these foam rolling protocols to do to correct it 
Now, after that, there's some activation workouts because of course, once you do deep tissue work, you wanna activate muscle groups that are gonna help your body hold that position. And so we're talking like band walks. We're talking the most mellow core work you can think of. Very, very low volume amount, but just enough, again, to turn it on and to hold position. So he does his first day of the mobility program, does his foam rolling, does some hip activation. The next day sets his best 10 second power on his bike. And it was like 1600 watts. It was big. <laughs> and it was a, like almost a hundred watt jump. And he didn't do it was one day, like no amount of strength training could get you that much stronger. He really didn't get stronger. What he got was activated. He got activated. This is one of the same thing. I've noticed this a lot with riders across the board where they come in and really I'm referring to some people. I, well, Rex was online, but especially in person where I see someone and we do, of course, kind of a mellow workout first day, they go for their next ride and they're like, oh my gosh, I felt so freaking good. Or this uh, ache and pain was gone or whatever. And it's just simply the activation. Like I know they didn't get stronger and I have to unfortunately tell them that you didn't really get stronger. You're technically probably weaker after that session if it's only a few days since I've seen you. But uh, you just got activated. You just turned some stuff on and woke it up. And this is like uh, Tim Wu, SoCal PT. He's, his whole thing is always be activating. So it's a lot of glute activation and just for your body to be ready and firing because uh, he knows, just like I know, that you don't have to net, quote unquote get stronger. You just have to improve those neural adaptations, uh, the mind-muscle connection. And it's, it's just like so cool to see. Um, and so let me give you a recap of all of these points together. <clears throat> and I'm just going to read through it very quickly so we can kind of summarize it. So how strength training improves your cycling. The obvious, you get stronger by building bigger muscle fibers and or neural adaptations, how the brain communicates with muscles. Less compensation. Certain muscles begin to turn off after time in the saddle, mostly ones on the backside of your body. Keeping those muscles activated helps your primary muscles not become overused. Injury prevention. Balanced strength training gives you a more stable body to tolerate impact and twisting. These tweaks happen while you're on the bike or hitting the ground. I probably don't have to explain why less injury is beneficial to your program. Comfort. Better alignment in activated muscles means more comfort while riding. Most of us know how back, neck, and knee pain can eliminate your ability to put down power and, again, generally just enjoy your ride. <laughs> Lastly, is put it all together. Now that your muscles are firing properly across your body, aka power transfer, without pain, instability, or turned off muscles holding you back. This is efficiency. So think about it, you guys. There are so many ways that strength training helps your riding, but that is just the clearest way to say it less compensation, injury prevention, comfort, put it all together and you're just the most efficient rider that you can possibly be. And I, I really wanna do an episode talking about how strength training, like what what is strength training? Like define strength training because unfortunately most people think of strength training still as just heavy barbell movements and that's it. And that's just not the case. Like a plank is strength training, you guys. You know, some, some yoga is just borderline strength training. So really think about like, what is your definition of strength training? Is that holding you back? Because I know for a lot of people that it is because in their mind, they're like, oh, well, you know, I can't do CrossFit. And I'm like, <laughs> why did you have, what, <laughs> what do you mean? Why did you have to do that? Like, why did you have to take it so far to the point where you're thinking about someone lifting 500 pounds off the ground? That is not what you have to do. You have to get a band, a little thin rubber band that's probably honestly less strong than your underwear band. Put it around your knees and do a couple external rotations, okay? Get on all fours 
and just walk to the end of the room on your hands and feet. Do a bear crawl. There you go. You're strength training. It is not, it does not have to be this insane high effort thing. In fact, it's, it's why I'm so proud of what I do because we have really found what the minimum dose should be two total body strength, strength training sessions that cover the seven effective movements that those seven effective movements, we talked about them time and time again. Uh, if you have a question about what those are, you can reach out to me, but they're built into all my programming. They're built into all the workouts. And if you do those, you know, you have balanced program. And, and that's really what you're going for. So I encourage everyone to jump on some form of strength training. Remember, consistency is most more important than the perfect program because the only perfect program for you is the one you're going to do consistent. You like that? Okay, let's get into the member questions. This first question is from Kenny. He shot me an email and he included a lot of information, which I love. Honestly, this question is so transparent and I think it's very relatable uh, to really anyone. I'm sure there's something that's gonna hit you with this. So here's what he said. Hey Derek, I've been loving your podcast and have been learning tons. It has given me the tools to start structuring my training and I'm already seeing results. Kenny, shout out to you, man. Way to uh, take action. He says, I apologize if you've already covered this, but I hope you can answer it on one of your next podcasts. How do you recommend going about cutting something out of your diet? For me specifically, it's Mountain Dew. I've been drinking 40 ounces a day most days, and it has its claws into me deep. I know it's what I need to get rid of in my diet to cut the weight I'm looking to lose, but sitting at a desk job and getting tired throughout the day makes it tough. I get gnarly headaches that affect my training if I go cold turkey, but easing off seemed weak somehow and maybe not the most effective way to stay off. Hopefully you have some good advice here or some science. Thanks in advance. So luckily, Kenny, I do have some science for you. And that's what we're going to start out with is actually referring to an article I found on really the effects of sugar and how addictive sugar actually is. And I want to disclaimer this just so you guys know, we need sugar as cyclists. We need carbs in general, but do not have a sugar phobia. Sugar is so important for our performance. And I do believe the timing is an important thing for your general health. That's why I typically have people, you know, fuel specifically for their workouts, whether they're in a fat loss state, a maintenance state, or even in a surplus, you can get away with more sugar outside of your workouts in a surplus. But generally you want to have eating habits that just have more whole foods and less refined sugar when you don't need it. That's, that really is a good general rule of thumb. It leads you to eat more fruits and veggies and uh, all, the, all the quality stuff that we're really meant to eat. So that's my disclaimer, but let's drop into the study about sugar because the first thing that came to mind is the rat study uh, that basically proves sugar is more addictive than cocaine. And so, of course, it's studied on uh, rats and mice, but I'm going to kind of read you this uh, article on the drug-like effects of co uh, sugar, <laughs> of cocaine. We're not talking about cocaine too much. Um, <laughs> I just have like a Dave Chappelle skit pop into my head. Okay, so <laughs> here's what the article says. Uh, this is from newhallhospital.co.uk. I'll link this in the description. He said, it says, research on rats, this is from 2017. Research on rats found that sugar is more addictive than opiate drugs such as cocaine and that there can be withdrawal symptoms such as depression and behavioral problems when people try cutting out sugar completely, which, by the way, is exactly what Kenny's experiencing. Should we be treating refined sugar with even more caution? Well, I, I think it depends on how much you ride, lady or fella, whoever, you wrote, whoever wrote this. <laughs> so drug-like effects. It says, a review 
published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine has claimed that refined sugar has a similar effect on the brain as illegal drugs such as cocaine. In studies on rats, it has been found that there are significant similarities between eating sugar and drug-like effects such as binging, craving, tolerance, withdrawal, dependence, and reward. The research scientists claim that sugar alters mood and can induce reward and pleasure in the same way drugs such as cocaine affect the brain. They cite studies in rats where sugar was preferred to cocaine and studies in mice where the mice experienced sugar withdrawal symptoms. Now we go down to, um, you know, I should point out by the way, I, could, I don't know why I couldn't find the very specific study itself. I think it says it at the bottom of this article, but basically there is the study that has stuck out in my brain of where they were giving these rats cocaine and then they also introduced sugar and then they gave them the option to have them choose which one they wanted. And they, the rats chose the sugar over cocaine. So it was a sugar water versus like cocaine water, I guess. You can picture the little, the little feeder. Um, but they kept going back to the sugar. And <laughs> I mean, come on now. Like how crazy is that? It's also good news for you if you do eat sugar already and are addicted to sugar because you know cocaine's not any better. And if, you know, I, I personally haven't tried cocaine. I mean, praise God. I'd probably love it too much, to be honest. The productivity would be incredible. Uh, this is another reason I don't take Adderall. I would probably be so freaking addicted to not sleeping and just working, which I, that's a whole another podcast. We don't need to get into that. But basically, <laughs> it, sugar is about as good as it gets for the real uh, triggers in your brain. And uh, I'd say that's comforting in a weird way. So uh, basically... We're going to go to another section, aversion signal. This is a really interesting uh, thing I learned about the difference between sugar and salt. And uh, I'd never heard this before. So uh, here we go. It says, lead author James blah, 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 blah of the Heart Institute, blah, blah, blah. Here's what he said. He said, unlike salt, there's no aversion signal to sugar, which is a built-in safety mechanism that protects us from eating too much salt. This isn't present in sugar, and so people can eat a lot of it. Oh my gosh, I'm like, <laughs> let me try that again. This isn't present in sugar, so people can eat a lot of it and still want more, whereas once people have eaten enough salt, they don't want any more. So that's, that's a scary thing right there. And then we basically, most of us know that you know, because of uh, uh, palate fatigue and all these things, if you start mixing salt and sweet, then you basically are an unstoppable force. Like if you get to the point where you're super burnt out on salt, like the brain is telling you, you can just introduce some sugar and you're right back at it. And I have seen crazy food challenges where they're eating so much sugar that salt makes them just feel better because they just start getting so sick and the palate fatigue is a real thing. Um, but that is very interesting that your brain would stop you from eating more salt when it has enough, but it wouldn't with sugar. Uh, so then we go into withdrawal symptoms. It kind of, to be honest, just says more of the same. So back to my own podcast show notes. So Kenny, I guess I brought that up because I just wanted to prove to you that sugar really is addictive and that, you know, I'm not telling you to just, you know, praise yourself for drinking 40 ounces of Mountain Dew a day, but also, you know, it, it's legit. It's a legit thing, so I wouldn't feel too bad about it, but we can nip it in the bud. Now, here's what I would say. Simply cutting a food out of your diet is difficult and the approach you want is a replacement that is the most effective thing that i have found across the board whether it's mountain dew or freaking pizza what you want to not do is just like cut it out and just sit there you know twirling your thumbs thinking about it the entire time you want to just try and replace it with something so the most obvious thing that i would recommend is replacing it with a stevia or a monk fruit sweetened soda 
I just say that because you could re replace it with diet soda because basically those chemicals in diet soda, and even with the stevia and the monk fruit, they send the same signals to your brain, almost the same, but your brain is almost tricked into thinking it has the sugar. And that's, the, but also that's how people get so addicted to diet soda is because they're getting that brain fix, but technically they may not, you know, they have more weight management, which is a positive, but now they're having more uh, artificial ingredients, uh, cancerous ingredients in their system. So it's not the most positive thing. And that's why I would recommend the stevia or monk fruit sweetened soda. If you just go with straight up sparkling water, honestly, it's, it's probably not ha gonna have that sweet for you right away. So I would try and get as close to the thing as possible without creating a new problem, which introducing diet soda for you probably would be creating a new problem. So go with something like a Zevia is a brand of soda. A Blue Sky is actually my favorite uh, stevia sweetened soda. I'm going to be real with you. It's, it's not soda. Stevia has a very specific taste. Monk fruit has a specific taste. It's more so an aftertaste because it's technically sweeter than sugar. Apparently, uh, you really don't need much. Like even a, I would just say it's a quarter teaspoon is what I put in my coffee when I'm in a deficit, if I want something really sweet. Um, and the initial sweet is great, but it's like the aftertaste that is a little bit different, but I'll tell you, it is way better option for you than just cutting out everything. So even though you would be going cold turkey off a of Mountain Dew, you could just start chugging these Zevia sodas and you know it's going to be just a lot healthier. And by the way, there's zero calories. So that's going to help you with your weight control. And I'll be honest, like you're one of those people and you're taking in, I didn't even do the math on what 40 ounces of soda would be grams of sugar wise or calorie wise that you'd be saving per day, but holy smokes, it's significant. And I would be very surprised if you didn't get some form of weight loss from that. Bonus points, by the way, if you could chug equal amounts of water between those soda cans. So let's just say you have a 12 ounce soda. If you hit 12 ounces of water between each one, that is a major, major move right there. Okay. Boss moves. <laughs> That's going to help a lot. Um, now what I would say, and this is from experience because I've been through multiple, uh, food tracking processes where I'm in deficits and, um, I've, I've really come a long way personally with my diet. I've, <laughs> I've, I'll go into that another time, but basically having a food on hand could be a great idea for you. And I would pick a sugary carby type food, but think about something that's hard to overeat, like an apple. So if you're not quite getting enough from that Zevia, eat an apple with it, which is sweet, has sugar in it, but there's also a lot of fiber. There's again, a lot of uh, water with the hydration. Uh, so you could be really getting that fix that you're looking for in a way that's hard to overdo it. And that's just way healthier for your body. I do not do dried fruit, dried fruit, excuse me. Just think about like whole pieces of fruit, I think is probably your best option. And you know, if you don't limit yourself on that and you just like, you know what, I'm bringing an apple, I'm bringing a banana and I'm bringing two plums or a couple tangerines and I'm just going to let myself eat it and do it. Like <laughs> you're probably not going to overeat the fruit and it's going to be just so much better long-term for you. Um, another strategy, by the way, because even though I really do think those replacements are ideal would be to try and control the, the days that you're eating them. So if you're like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are my only days I can have this soda. That is an option to slowly wean it out. But, but truthfully, I just think you should replace it and, uh, not focus on just not having it at all. And maybe you reward yourself. Maybe just tell yourself, Hey, if I hit five days without the Mountain Dew on that sixth day, I'm going to have my Mountain Dew, you know, and you don't want to get into this like binge 
cycle where, you know, if you end up trying to make up for all the Mountain Dew you missed in that one day, that's probably not a good thing either. So like it is real that there are cause and effects of every strategy that you do. But regardless of what you do, man, I'm just going to tell you there's a point where you're going to just straight up have to fight through it and you're going to have to remind yourself why you want to do it. And so find out the real reason why. And I'll tell you, this is one part where, this is a part where people who are really content and happy in their lives struggle to move forward because at the end of the day, they don't really really feel like they need to do it differently. Like they'd like to, but the pain of the change is not worth the discomfort because they're already pretty happy and comfortable. So I would say, get yourself uncomfortable. You know, I talked about using guilt as a motivator recently. That's an option for you. You're going to have to fight at some point. That's a, that's really what I want to get like toward you because these are real strategies you can use, but regardless, there's still going to be a day where you have your apple and you have your Zevia soda and you're enjoying it. But in the back of your head, you still want the Mountain Dew. So remember that's going to be real. And the longer you go without of it, without it, the more consistent you are of implementing those replacements the easier it's going to be over time. I, I promise you, your palate will change if you give it the opportunity. It has happened for me. I have literally grown up eating the worst foods ever, and I still eat those foods, but gosh, so sporadically. Uh, and to be honest, there are foods, and it's almost disappointing sometimes that um, you know, I, I want to go eat them and enjoy them, but I just can't do it the same way. Like I can't just go eat eight donuts like I used to. I used to love that. I used to do it every Saturday. Seriously, like jelly filled, okay? Jelly filled donuts. Like, come on now. Come on. Can you picture me doing that? I can't even picture me doing that anymore. I, and you know what? Sometimes I try. Like, I'll go for a huge ride and I'm like, oh, I'm about to crush. And I'm like four donuts in and I'm like, oh, dude, I technically have burned these calories and my body's ready for it, but I can't handle it. My stomach is saying, no, I'm over it. Like, just, you know, give me a salad. Like, I really get to that point. So, um, give yourself the opportunity to really change, um, and, and really fight for it. Give yourself the replacements and uh, understand that you're dealing with something that's more addictive than cocaine. So I hope that helps Kenny. This next question is from at Luca Epping. He says, I'd love to hear some more from you about the whole topic of mental health in biking. Maybe a podcast with a specialist or something. I also often hear people saying that they struggle with confidence and their abilities. Other talking points could be race preparation in the zone, questioning everything and pressure. Would love to hear something about that. So uh, Luca, I do not have a specialist technically with me right now, but I did want to touch on one part of just struggling with your general performance in racing. This could be along the lines of getting in the zone and the confidence that you mentioned, but this is from my personal experience. Now I've done hundreds and hundreds of mountain bike races in my lifetime, mostly downhill races, a lot of enduro races. I've done cross country races. And so I I went from this point when I first started racing where I had an insane amount of success. And then as I was presented to more, I would just say variables and options, you know, sponsorships, people telling me that I need to pace myself during practice, people saying that I need to, um, I have to eat this one thing right now. And I've had a lot of beneficial, you know, things come out of that, those recommendations, but I've also had a lot of stuff hold me back where I'll be honest with you, you know, early on in my racing career, there were influences I had that I was like, I don't, I don't feel like I need anything that you're talking about. And 
to be honest, when I started thinking about those things, I started overthinking all those things. So my biggest thing when I came back to enduro racing was to find consistency in my racing because I had the skills and the abilities, but I had all these weird variables going on in my head that I was just overthinking and it really led to inconsistent results for me. So when I came back into racing and racing enduro, this was like right before I started dialed health and I'm a trainer and I'm just, I, it was like my last go at racing. I really, I felt like I had unfinished business and I just wanted to give myself two solid years. I, I don't know, if, I think I talked about this in the first episode of uh, the story of dialed health, but I really just gave myself two years. I'm like, if I can't become a pro racer by the end of this two years, then I need to move on. Uh, which obviously you can see that happen. I wouldn't change it for the world. But one thing I'm really proud of that I did was I got great results and I got freakishly consistent results. And the way I did that was getting to a place in my brain that I was in when I was like 16, like 15. And to be honest, I kind of call it just effort mentality. I had to basically get on the start line, you know, once the, the beep started, I had to literally tell myself, like, I don't, I don't give an F about anything. I don't care about the competition. I don't care about potentially falling. I don't care about the circumstances that led up to this point or that I'm currently in, which could be a mechanical, it could be an injury, it could be uh, the bad sleep you got or the fact that you do feel like you overpracticed and you're tired or that you're worried about this section. Like, I just don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. And really, the reason I had to get to that point was I looked at back at my best performances when I was way younger in the sport, like 16 racing downhill. There was one race in particular where Nathan Rennie, Emil Cavalier, big, heavy international World Cup hitters came over and we're racing this local race in the Bay Area. And I was like 16 and I was sending it. And I literally would have gotten fourth in the pro class as a 16 year old. And I was just so pinned. And I remember actually getting comments from, from like Nathan Rennie and, and stuff, which led to us riding together later, which was so cool. But uh, basically they were just, just saying I'm, yeah, I was pinned. I, I just, I did not care about who I had to be against like i didn't say oh my gosh i'm a young junior racing expert category i shouldn't be as fast as these pros i just saw these guys do it and i was like i can do that and i and i just sent it i kid you not so i thought and by the way that race specifically it got so muddy that they couldn't run shuttles up the hill and a lot of people just didn't practice because of that and i freaking hiked to the top and i had a 46 pound v10 that i pushed up to the top over and over and over again because i wanted to ride my bike and i just wanted to practice and i didn't think about oh my gosh i might get too tired or whatever and it's funny because i'll be honest like <laughs> It's a different style of racing. It's a different time. There's a lot of things that were different about it, but the mentality is what I had to go back to. And when I did that with Enduro and I dropped into every run, just literally not caring about anything except what was in front of me is when I had my most consistent and best performances. And then one thing I added to that was just not trying to think about racing my fastest. And I was more so focused on riding my best. And that little shift for me was another thing where, you know, I got to the point where I was like, F it, but obviously you have to ride within your control. And when I focused on riding my fastest, I tend to, you know, break too late into corners. I just kind of overshot stuff. I got a little shaky. I actually felt a little weak because I was just rushing. But when I focused on just riding my best and not my fastest, I just, I felt like I was actually riding my best. 
And you know, that's how that feeling that you have in practice where you're like, gosh, I wish, the, I wish this was my race run. <laughs> I think every downhill racer for sure has had that feeling. Enduro is a little bit different. Obviously road racing, scouting courses, that's all different. And fatigue and things you have to focus on, it's, just, it's very different. But I'll tell you that focusing on just riding your best and literally not caring about anything else is the ultimate place to go mentally to have your best, most consistent performance. So really think about that. Take a breath, look at the trail in front of you and be like, dude, I know how to ride. You just have to go back to your training. You have to let it take over. All that practice that you've done, it's in there. It's in your brain, it's in your body. You just have to let your body do it. You can't stand in your own way of this happening. And uh, I, I hope that helps. I know that's kind of random. It's very particular to my uh, experience and circumstances, but really that's, that's what helped me um, do well in enduro. And it wasn't well enough to uh, just sign a pro contract, but I was on pro podiums and I was beating guys on stages who were world champs um, or at least tying them or whatever. So yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of fun to talk about. <laughs> I hope it helps, Luca. This next question is from at Victor M. Ramos. Shout out to you, Victor. This is a Dialed Fan member who is my neighbor, by the way. I saw him the other day. I'm on my trainer, and he's riding by with his wife. And so this is a perfect question. It says, how, uh, or he said a good topic would be, how do you ride with someone of a different uh, riding level or a different fitness level or a different skill level? And so my first answer to this, because I've honestly put a lot of thought into this, is first off, e-bikes are the ultimate equalizer. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. This is a new variable that has really changed the game for a lot of couples I know specifically who want to ride together because, you know, if you both have e-bikes or just one of you has an e-bike, let's just say the less fit person has an e-bike, this could totally change the game where let's just say, you know, you are, you, you have been into riding for a long time. You have this big base of fitness and, and your wife wants to start riding with you vice versa your husband wants to start riding with you they have no base of fitness and literally they could be on eco mode on their e-bike maybe even turbo enjoying themselves out on a ride and you're smashing the way you want to be and you're both getting that experience that you want which is amazing and i'm trying to talk my wife into getting a creo which is a, a specialized e-road bike and also i've been thinking about how to do this with my kids hopefully getting into riding and so that kind of leads me to my next point. So if you aren't going to do e-bikes, which I understand, um, by the way, I got to add one more point. I've had a couple do this. Shout out to you, Bert and Suzanne. And it's great because again, it's the equalizer. One can be on turbo. One can be on eco. Like, you know, they're both just enjoying their ride more because you can control the effort level more, basically. Um, the other option is to really get your mind right as far as, you know, if you know you're going to have to go on a chill ride, you have to be there mentally for a chill ride because I've gone out with people where I'm just trying to smash and it's not in the cards. And it's really frustrating. It can be if you go in with that mindset. But if you know it's just going to be chill and fun, then, then you can really enjoy the process. And everyone's going to have a better time because of that. But what it might require is you doing a little extra work beforehand. Or maybe you know that after the fact that you get personally more riding time. And I'm just going to speak from, you know, you being the person who's maybe more fit or more skilled than the person you're riding with. And I've thought about this with my kids because I'm like, okay, I really want to get them into mountain biking because 
I mean, I don't know how else I can spend more time on my mountain bike and that's a perfect way to do it. But of course, I'm going to be just kind of like sitting at bike parks and stuff. It, you know, we're, we're doing really chill runs and I'm following them and stuff. So how do I stay on top of my game when that is going to be the majority of riding that I'm going to be doing? Or not the majority, but that's going to be a, a big portion of it, right? Well, my thought was personally, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be out doing a bunch of random skills on my mountain bike, which good thing I can keep those skills up if I'm out with my son, let's just say, well, maybe I can do a trainer road ride early in the morning before he's even awake, freaking smoke myself on the trainer. So by the time I get out on the bike, I don't feel like I need to put out an effort and keep my fitness up. It's already been like that money's already in the bank and now I can just enjoy my time on the bike. And I think that's, it's not as easy uh, it's easier said than done. <laughs> I almost said it's not as easy done as said. It's easier said than done because I understand like, you know, to have the time to do both in one day could be difficult. But if you do, that is an option. I, I think it's something to consider. Or even, you know, if you're going to meet someone at the trailhead at 10 a.m. and you plan on doing a two-hour ride with them that you know is going to be kind of slow, maybe you can just get there at 9 and hammer down. Okay, and vice versa. If you are the person who is slower or less skilled, you need to go in with the mindset that you're going to destroy yourself. <laughs> is that motivating if you're just starting to ride? No, gosh, I don't I I don't know if I should say that. I'll just tell you I've been that person too. And I you just have to go in excited to ride with someone more experienced than you because there's so much to learn. That's, that's all I would really say. And hopefully that person, cause it's kind of up to them to, you know, sort of lead the ride most likely. Hopefully they have enough discretion to really calm down, go through those steps I talked about so that you can enjoy the experience more also. And hopefully they have nothing to prove. Hopefully they have nothing to prove and they're trying to torture you. But also if that is the case and you get dropped and you're, you know, it's just a lot of solo riding, um, I would just say don't, just don't get frustrated. Just be grateful that you're riding with someone better than you to learn from because, you know, ask questions, like be engaged because there's a lot of people who don't have faster riders than them and it's, it's harder to get better. You just need that exposure and you're probably going to get a lot faster, a lot better because of it. So, you know, a few options, different riding levels, different skill levels. The e-bike is a great equalizer. You could either do a pre-ride and hammer yourself down early in the morning on your trainer or show up to the trailhead early. And I think those are about the best options for you. Other than that, I'm not really sure. You can pedal with one leg if you're really fit. I've literally had a friend, shout out to you, Chaz, <laughs> pedal with one leg uh, with a friend that wasn't as fit on climbs. <laughs> I mean, excuse my French, we got to earmuff it, but it's kind of a dick move, Chaz. <laughs> I mean, when you're riding wheelies next to someone who's struggling on a climb, you know, I get you're trying to do your thing. I've been that guy too. And it's just like, you got to really think about what you're doing. Like how frustrating for the person who's struggling next to you when you're just, you have one leg on clips and you're going faster than them. Use some discretion, people. I have to remind myself also. And I'll just say, this is a great time to say that uh, yeah, we're going to be doing group rides pretty soon. Uh, we've had to obviously be very uh, you know, cautious with everything that's going on in the world and uh, be smart about the impact we're having and, uh, you know, it, it, on so many different levels, but last year, funny enough, was going to be the year of events for me. And it had to shift a lot. We, we started the year a year ago, actually it was in February last year, did this awesome, huge group ride. 
It was so fun, and I really want to bring that back and make it a regular thing uh, for the local Dowd fan members, and even to have members come out for it or something. It'd be, I have so many ideas, of course, but what we're going to do on that most likely is just start together and then have different ride leaders. So there's like a faster group and maybe a slower group, but either way, everyone could start together, and then people kind of get grouped up with those that they're going to just you know sync with, and hopefully everyone has a better experience for that. So um, that's kind of how I'll be doing it because I'll be a approaching this whole thing pretty soon. So uh, anyways, Victor, hope that helps. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dialed Health Podcast. I really hope this adds some value to your week. And I have to say, I intentionally did not do a update for you guys. Sorry about that, about dialedhealth.com. Only because your boy is out of time. I'm sitting here at my studio. It's 6.30 p.m. I told my wife I was going to be home at 6. So I'm already in trouble and we're going to wrap this thing up. But what I'm going to tell you is that we have a calendar on the dev site right now that I'm testing and using where you're going to be able to literally schedule out your entire month and add in rides, not synced through Strava or anything like that yet. Don't worry. We're going to be working on that. But for you to clearly put a calendar down if you are mixing guided workouts with programs or you're mixing programs, it's going to be an option for you. And uh, I can't tell you how pumped I am. This is going to be such a big step forward for dialedhealth.com. And uh, we also have a Olympic lifting program that's currently being edited and will hopefully be up by the end of the month or early next month. And we can go into that, but that's going to include Katie Alton from Pursuit Strong. And she's another trainer that's going to be joining the Dialed Health uh, team, basically. She's running her own training business out of Redwood City if you need to go and see anyone in person. But she is an expert on Olympic lifting, and we put our minds together to basically create a program that was within the boundaries and the real mythology of dialed health, but that included Olympic lifting, which I'll be honest, you know, I've done it before, but I'm not an expert on it, especially not enough to create a program. But a lot of people want it, and I'm just so excited to start branching out of things that are really even, I don't wanna say out of my comfort zone, but really just out of my, uh, out of my knowledge a little bit, uh, but still to do it within a way that makes sense for dialed health, and that's gonna support your cycling, because that's ultimately the most important thing. Every program, every product, every workout we do is going to line up with your cycling. And that's the biggest boundary that we have. But really, I want to give everyone all the options. Olympic lifting, all the kettlebell stuff, which that's going to be my thing next. Uh, We're talking to some yoga people. We have a lot of cool things in the works, but the calendar is working on the dev site and we're going to have it launched soon. So stay tuned for that. If you're enjoying the podcast, please go rate me on Apple give me five stars, drop me a review, and then screenshot your phone that you're listening to this. You could also do a screen recording of like a little soundbite, post it to your Instagram story and tag at Dialed Health. Really appreciate the exposure. It's helping a ton. Oh, we got another thing. I was on Sonia Looney's podcast last week. We already recorded it. And not only that, but I have Tim Wu coming on my podcast tomorrow for next week. So stay tuned, man. We have some really cool stuff in the works, a lot of content dropping for you. And I got to get my butt home. Um, My wife's going to kill me. So I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Start moving forward.